The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Welcome again. I'm Pastor Chris. Great to have you with us today as uh, we kick off uh, this December with this series uh, called Misfits. First of all, let me just go ahead and uh, just set the record straight. I am a Clemson fan, but yes, today I am wearing garnet and black. I just figured that you Gamecock fans had nothing to cheer for over December and pretty much it was over. So I wanted to encourage you a little bit. I want to love on you a little bit. No, uh, actually I didn't even think about it. I thought it looked festive and what is he even thinking? And then this morning I've been bombarded uh, by about 20 or 30 people harassing me about the colors that I was wearing. I didn't realize we were gangs or something and I was... uh, you know, you're the Crips or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, but welcome. We're glad that you are here. Hey, uh, here's what I want you to do. Come back to church uh, tonight uh, at five o'clock. Everybody is invited. We're having a big party. Uh, my son, Christopher, uh, he's getting, getting married uh, to Lizzie and uh, we're having a wedding shower for him and Lizzie tonight at five. You don't have to bring anything. I've been harassing everybody about that, but you really don't. Uh, just come have fun. We're going to have a lot of food. It's just going to be a good time of fellowship. Get to know them, get to meet them. And um, I don't know, we're going to eat a lot of food. Uh, we're going to pray for them. And we would really, uh, we would love personally, my wife and I would love for you guys to come back and just enjoy some time together together with us and our family uh, here tonight at five o'clock. So I hope you can do that. Um, one of my favorite Christmas movies, uh, kind of a classic Christmas movies, in fact, it was on this past week, which I thought was great. Uh, it's got to be Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Anybody love that movie as well? It's kind of cool. You know, there's just something about 1960s stop motion animation. You know, there's just something about that old school type stuff. And um, let, let me give you a couple of facts about the movie that you might not know. Uh, the, the special was loosely based on uh, the song uh, by the same name, and the song was taken from a poem uh, written in 1939. It first aired on TV Sunday, December the 6th, 1964, and has been telecast every year since, making it the longest-running Christmas TV special and one of only four uh, 1960s Christmas specials still being uh, cast today. Uh, the others, of course, being uh, Frosty the Snowman, uh, how the Grinch Stole Christmas. And does anybody know the other one? Uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, very good. So uh, those four. Uh, now, there, there is, there's just so much to love about this, this great movie. I mean, there's the music. You know, not only do we learn, of course, the, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song, but then there's classics like A Holly Jolly Christmas and Jingle Jingle Jangle and We Are Santos Elves. You know, there's that one. And then there, there's always tomorrow, right? And, um, you know, silver and gold. So, I mean, you know, all those songs, right? You know, from the movie, they're great. And, and then, of course, there's the characters. You know, you got Santa, of course and Mrs. Claus and Rudolph. But then I like, there's Sam the Snowman, you know, the narrator kind of sounds a little bit like Burl Ives. And, and uh, there's Rudolph's uh, hot reindeer girlfriend. Anybody know her name? Clarice. Very good. Yeah. And, uh, and then there's the nerdy elf named who? Hermie. And he, of course, wants to be a what? A dentist. Very good. You know the movie. Uh, and then my two favorite characters, probably uh, Yukon Cornelius and the, the kind of the, the enemy in the beginning of the movie. Who's that? The Abominable Snow Monster. Very good. Um, so the movie follows the friendship and the adventures really of Rudolph uh, and Hermie for the most part. They bond and uh, they discover that they've got something in common with each other. And that is 
they don't fit in. They're what? They are they're misfits. In fact, on their journey, they end up on the island of misfit toys. It, it, it's this uh, island sanctuary, if you will, where all uh, the defective and unwanted toys are sent. Now, maybe if, again, if you've seen the movie, you remember there's King Moonracer. He's a winged lion. Uh, there's a, not a jack-in-the-box, a what? Charlie in a box. And then there's a polka-dotted elephant, a birdfish. There's a cowboy who rides an ostrich, a train whose caboose has got square wheels. Uh, there's a toy boat that sinks, uh, an airplane that can't fly, and of course, a squirt gun that doesn't squirt water. It squirts grape jelly. Wow. See, you all, you all know the story. Rudolph's bright red nose ends up saving his friends and saving Christmas. And Santa's first stop on Christmas Eve, of course, is the island of misfit toys. And he's there, you know, to pick up all the toys and, you know, to be distributed to all the boys and girls around the world. Well, today and through, throughout this series for December, I want us to take a look at the, what I believe is the original island of misfits. Uh, you know, if there ever really was a group of misfits, if there was ever a group of people who had to feel that they were defective, unwanted, and there's no way they could ever fit into God's redemptive story, it had to be pretty much everyone associated with the very first Christmas story and the birth of Jesus. There is absolutely nothing about this story that we would have chosen, that we would have done it that way. The whole thing is just a story uh, of misfits. I mean, we wouldn't have chosen the birthplace, Bethlehem. You know, back then we would have chosen cities like Alexandria, Athens, Rome, Jerusalem. But God's choice was this little hick village of Bethlehem. That's like being from Monk's Corner or something, okay? No, I'm just teasing. Anyway, but it was. It's just a little hick village. Not only was Jesus born in Bethlehem, he was born in a stable. You know, I, I, don't, uh, I didn't grow up on a farm, but there's one thing I know about barns. They stink. They are smelly. I mean, they're dirty. They're smelly. They're stink. They're, they're, they're not a clean, you know, place. Luke 2.7 says this. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Oh, it sounds so pretty, doesn't it? So quaint. So much like a, you know, a beautiful little play that we might see. And yet, it was anything but. I mean, you know, don't think of a manger as this beautiful little first century bassinet, you know, that played little, you know, sweet sounding, you know, music and just rocked, you know, rocked back and forth. A manger, a manger was nothing more than a feeding trough for animals. It, it was nothing more than a, a crudely constructed piece of farm furniture, okay? Ordinary, ordinary in every way. But if you think about it, the only reason why you and I today are familiar even with the term manger is why? Because in one little clip of Scripture, it says that the Son of God was laid in one. I, I really think apart from that, nobody would really ever have a clue. That's not a common word, manger. But because God's Son, Jesus, was laid in one, look what happens to an ordinary piece of farm furniture. 
all of a sudden it's got new dignity. All of a sudden it's, it's, a, it's a household term. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. A, a feeding trough for cattle becomes a cradle for the king. Man, what a, what a, what a story of transformation. You see, God does to you and to me what Jesus did to that manger. He he makes something that's ordinary, extraordinary, special, wonderful, gifted, beautiful. And the question is, will you allow him to do the same thing to you? Will you allow him to bring that same transformation into your life if he hasn't already done so? In many ways, to me, the manger is this, this misfit symbol of what can happen to an ordinary man, an ordinary woman, when Jesus comes to reside within. And then, think about this. Who did God choose to be the very first ones to hear about the birth of Jesus? Shepherds. I mean, if, if there ever was one, another group of misfits. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about them today because we're going to talk more about them later in this series. But, you know, in the first century world into which Jesus was born, the shepherds were the lowest of the low. They were the lowest class of people. They came in just ahead of lepers, okay, barely. Shepherds in the New Testament day, they, they were uh, the lowlifers, the outsiders, okay? They did not fit in. And yet, listen, listen to this. It was to them, not to the kings, not to the presidents, not to the Caesars or the Pilots or the Herods did the first message of the arrival of Jesus come, but to lowly shepherds. In other words, God chose the lowliest of all professions and all people as the ones to whom he would reveal the initial word about the coming of his son Jesus into the world. I mean, when nobody else wanted to associate with them, God's angels appeared to them saying, unto you, shepherds, is born this day a Savior. Think about that. Unto the lowest, God gives his highest. Unto the neglected, God gives attention. Unto the poor, he gives his riches. You know, one of my favorite verses is 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord, one one translation says, range throughout the earth, search throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You see, the Bible says God's looking for people to use. And the only requirement is your heart. That's it. Some of you are saying, though, but you know, Pastor Chris... God could never use somebody like me. You know, basically, I really, I really am a misfit. Because of my past, I'm defective. Because of what I've done, surely I'm unwanted. And because where I've been and what I've experienced, I really don't fit in. God couldn't use me. I, I'm, a, I'm a misfit living on an, you know, an island of misfits. Here's today's message for you. 
in a, in a nutshell. You are wrong. Not only can God use you, but listen, He wants to. He's waiting. He, he is eager to use you in ways that you have never even yet imagined. And, and Mary and Joseph, you know, even them, they, they're, they're proof of that. I mean, again, you talk about a couple of misfits. Only God would have picked them to be the parents of the Savior of the world. In fact, what is actually special about Mary and Joseph is their absolute plain ordinariness. That's it. God took an ordinary couple and used them in an extraordinary way. That's what makes them special. You know, why? Why in the world did God choose Mary and Joseph? It wasn't because of their education, because they didn't have any. It wasn't because of their wealth, because they were poor. It wasn't because they were just so mature, because, you know, Mary was a teenager. God chose them because they trusted him and obeyed. They trusted and they obeyed. Now, they had to have all kinds of fear, but they didn't let the fear control them. Instead, they modeled the things that you've got to have in your life if you, want let, if you want to let God use you. You know, an angel came to Mary in Luke 1, beginning in verse 26, and it says this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he explains what's going to happen, and, and Mary's initial reaction is absolute shock. It says here she was greatly troubled. Another translation says confused, disturbed. The Greek word here in the original language means petrified, scared to death, okay? You know, wouldn't you be a little scared if an angel showed up at your doorstep? I think we all would. Mary and Joseph had every reason to be afraid. But they didn't let their fears control them. God said, you're going to be the parents of the Savior of the world. Think about the fears they probably face, some of which you're facing today. The fear of criticism. You know, what's that? Well, you know, what's everybody going to think? The fear of the unknown. What's going to happen to me? How about this one, the fear of inadequacy? You know, how in the world am I going to be able to handle this? Or even the fear of change. You know, how's this going to change my life? You see, I think those same fears that they face are the same fears that keep us from being used by God over and over and over again. So what's the antidote? What's the, what's the solution? Three things. I think we've got to build these three things into our lives. We see these in, in, the lives of, uh, in the lives of Mary and Joseph and in this story. If you want God to use you, in an extraordinary way. Number one, God uses people who desire to do his will. Who desire to do his will. In other words, you've got to want it. Listen, God does have a plan for your life. We say that all the time. God's got a custom-made plan just for you. But it's not automatic. You know, you have to choose to cooperate with God and his purpose for your life. 
And God uses people who want to do his will, who desire it. One day an angel shows up to Mary and says, God's got this great plan, he's going to come to earth, and you're not going to believe, Mary, how he's going to choose to do it. He's going to use you and your body. And her response is in verse 46 and 48, it says, My soul praises the Lord, my heart rejoices in God my Savior, because he has shown his concern for his humble servant girl. Mary did not say, well, you know, hey, find somebody else. You know, when God says, Mary, I want to use you, Mary doesn't respond with, whoa, 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 wait a second, God. You know, I got my plans and my dreams and my goals, and I'm not really sure this is convenient for me right now. You know, this is, might not be what's best for me. She didn't say, hey, can you find somebody else to do this? And what about Joseph? Now, the truth is, we don't know as much about Joseph, and yet what we do know is that whenever God told him to obey, he did it. Matthew 124, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And then over in chapter 2, it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Again, another great example. God said, get up. And so it says, he got up. It's almost like God was saying, jump, and then Joseph said what? How high? Now again, we don't read as much about him as we do Mary, except... Whenever God said something, Joseph listened and he obeyed without question. Again, he trusted and obeyed. He trusted and obeyed. If God is going to work in your life, you've got to want it, you've got to desire it, but then you've got to do it. In other words, it's this, this idea, this attitude, this prayer of, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll, Lord, I'll, I'll be whatever it is you want me to be. God, I'll go wherever it is you want me to go. Psalm 40, verse 8, David said, I desire to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul said, our only goal is to please God. Let me ask you, is that your goal? Is that the center of your life through which everything else flows? What do you desire most? You know, to get married, to get rich, to retire. You know, man, you better have a a greater purpose in life than just that. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those other things. They will be added to you. But you got to want it. you got to trust and obey. Number two, God uses people who decide to pay the cost. Decide to pay the cost. You know, there, there's always a cost in following God's plan for your life. There is. I mean, if you were just simply to say, God, you know what? In 2017, this new year, I want more of you. I, I want to give you more 
of me. This, this time next year, I want to be closer to you. I, I want to be in the center of your will. Let me tell you something. There's always a cost to that. There's always going to be some risk, and it's going to require faith. And you're going to have to do some things you might not be, you know, think that you can do right now, some things that you might be scared to do. Mary and Joseph decided that they wanted God's will most of all, and they decided to take the chance, to pay the cost, to, to take the risk. Verse 38, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to do, listen to this, whatever he wants. Have you ever said that to God? God, I'm willing to do whatever you want. Whatever you ask of me, I'm willing to do it. Now, what, what does whatever include, by the way? It includes everything. Now, can, think about this. Can you imagine the cost to Mary and Joseph to say yes, to trust, to obey? I mean, they could have said no. They, they had a choice. Can you imagine the cost that they paid to be the parents of Jesus? It cost them their reputation. I mean, she was a virgin. She was pregnant. And she's engaged to be married to Joseph. How are you going to explain that to everybody? And, and think about this for a second. Jesus was 30 years old before he started doing miracles to validate who he said he was, to validate their story. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph going, Jesus, can you just do a little miracle? You know, like, <laughs> come on, you know, get out of the dirt, stop playing in the sand, do something, you know? I mean, if you were engaged and your fiance said, this is real to me, by the way, I'm thinking about my son. And anyway, okay, not, anyway, you know, I mean, what if Lizzie comes and goes, by the way, Christopher, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin, but you're not the father, it's God, okay? Like, we would check her into a loony bin. We would, wouldn't we? I mean, but think about that. I mean, when you hear a story like that, that's like saying, you know, I had a date with Elvis last week, or I was taken up in a UFO, or Carolina beat Clemson in football. I mean, something unimaginable. <laughs> Just totally, totally unbelievable. Now, the point is, if you get serious about God's plan for your life, though, God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll be whatever it is you want me to be. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Let me tell you something. There are going to be people who are going to misjudge you. There will be people who will misunderstand you. And there's going to be people who are going to flat out, you know, criticize you. Um, you can bank on it. You know, it also cost them their comfort. The Bible says that Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. She is in Nazareth. How would you like to be, ladies, nine months pregnant and take a long journey by foot or on the back of a donkey? Okay? I mean, how would you like to be a young teenage peasant girl having your first child in a foreign city in a cold barn with no friends or family around? Think that'd be easy? And then once the baby's born, you hear that the king wants to kill him, and so you got to flee with your husband in the middle of the night to a foreign country and move to Egypt. Wow. You see, God's plan for you and for me, it includes some problems. It includes some discomfort. And that's part of the plan. 
Because there's always a cost. In fact, Jesus was very upfront about that. In Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me can't be my disciple. Jesus was saying, don't, you know, don't be confused here. Don't, don't commit your life until you really have thought about it. Consider it. Count the cost. Let me ask you. What are you and I willing to give up in order to be used by God? You know, God might be calling you to, uh, to give up some old habits. You know, maybe there's some relationships in your life, instead of you pulling them up and bringing them up and encouraging them, they are pulling you down. And you might have to give those up. You know, for a time, he might ask you to set aside your dream, maybe your plans, your ambitions. Are you willing to do that? There's a cost. Number three, God uses people who dare to trust him, dare to trust his promises. Again, it takes courage to be used by God. It takes courage to, you know, to be a misfit and yet to be used by God in a great way. But courage doesn't mean that you're not afraid. It's not the absence of fear. We all know this, right? You've heard it. Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fear. It's moving forward. It's taking those next steps. Another word for courage is faith. And Mary and Joseph, if anything, they were people of deep, deep faith. They didn't have all the answers, but they knew who did, and they trusted him. And again, back to Luke 1, 34 through 35, and verse 37, it says, Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of God shall overshadow you, for every promise from God shall surely come True. Notice the word there, promise. God uses people who dare to trust his promises. God did a miracle in Mary and Joseph's life. You say, well, you know, why doesn't God ever do a miracle in my life? Well, it might be because you're afraid that he will. You're afraid to trust him. You know, you're afraid, well, you know, if God does something supernatural in my life, I might lose control. And for some of you, that's a scary thought. The reason God doesn't do miracles in your life is because you play it safe and then you wonder why he doesn't do anything. It's because you don't let him. God uses people who dare to trust him. Mary's cousin understood why, uh, why God chose uh, Mary. Luke 1, Elizabeth said, you are blessed, listen to this, because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. God uses people who desire to do his will more than anything else. They decide to pay the cost, and then they dare to trust him. Listen to me. If God could take a couple of poor, misfit, peasant teenagers with no education and and chose them to be the parents of Jesus... What's your puny excuse for why you won't let God have all of your life? You know, are you willing to be used by God to say, God, you know what? Anytime, anywhere, any place, use me. It means putting my agenda, my goals, and my financial package, and my my plans, my dreams all on the line. You know, it's, it's saying, God, I cannot stand another day 
without being in the center of your will. Does that scare you a little bit? The secret of overcoming fear, the fear of the unknown, is focusing on what you do know. What do we know? We know that God loves you. And God says you matter to him. And he's got your best interest at heart. And he cares about you. And he knows what will fulfill you. He knows what will make you happy more than you do. That's what I know for sure. So I don't have a problem trusting a God that I know is like that. Well, it's Christmas time. Let me ask you a very personal question. What are you going to give Jesus for Christmas? I mean, it's his birthday, right? You're scrambling around getting gifts for everybody else. Normally, you buy a gift for the birthday boy, right? What can I give God? You ever think about that? You say, well, Pastor Chris, he's got everything. What do you give the person who's got everything? You know, soap on a rope, you know, slippers. I mean, Jesus, he has everything, right? Nope. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have all of you unless you give it to him. He doesn't have your heart until you give it to him. My suggestion is that this Christmas, as your Christmas gift to Jesus, you say, God, here I am. All of me. The good, the bad, the ugly. And he will take that and he will use you in an extraordinary way. And it'll be beautiful. You can have that today if you'll give him your heart. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for the original Christmas story, your rescue mission to this world your great, great love in providing a Savior for our sin. God, we, we are misfits. We have, uh, we've blown it in so many ways. We, there's a lot of people in this room, in fact, who still feel like they don't fit in. They're rejected. They're unwanted. God, I pray that your message of love is so clear today, that they are wanted, that you have accepted them, and that you can do something extraordinary through them if we would simply give you our heart. Listen, today, cry out to your heavenly Father. Just say, dear God, today, I do. I want to come home. This Christmas, I want to come home. I have blown it. I've messed up. God, call it what you will. I am a sinner. I have pushed you out of my life. I've, I've run from you, but today... I take that step of faith toward you. And listen, when you do that, God makes up the distance. He runs to you with open arms. Say, Father, forgive me. I do believe. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and who he is, your son, my savior. I believe he went to a cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead and he is alive. And if, as much as I know how, as much as I understand today, I trust. And God, I also obey. From this day forward, God, I simply, the, the, the desire of my heart is just to follow you. 
It's just to become more and more every day now as you see me, your child, adopted into your family forever, loved, perfect in your sight, clean, brand new. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. God, give us your heart and your your vision to see people during this time of the year as you do. Help us to reach out, to love, to be the church that you called us to be. We love you, Father. We pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.